0: Good question. What are you building your foundation on? What are you building your life on? Are we seeking the heart of the Father and and just the things that we're doing? Or are we just trying to establish uh, you know, our own way, our own things? Well, as we go through the word, we're constantly seeing things that we may not have seen before. We're constantly seeing things that are just being revealed to us. And guys, I believe it was designed that way. I mean, for one, you know, there's some things you don't learn until you learn other things first, right? You know, we even have that uh you know in ed- our education system you can't learn you know geometry until you learn basic math right <laughs> some things you have to learn before you can learn other things so as we go through the word i believe we build on that as, as the word has expanded to us and we, we learn foundations i'm going to put it this way cycles and seasons you know even even in shabbat and even every day right i mean today it was a cycle you know you, you woke up the sun was up up today Right? I mean, guess what? Gonna set, and then, Yah willing, tomorrow, what what, what will happen? Gonna come back up. You know, that's a day. You have the six days, the seventh day is Shabbat, that's a week, and then you have the weeks go to months, months go to years. Cycles and seasons, these are the things that the Father has given us to learn how to follow Him. And as we go through each cycle, as we go through each season, You may, you may have seen that some things that you understand now you didn't understand last year, the same time or other seasons, other, other things that we get into. But yet once we go through something, then when we come back around to it again, we kind of have a different understanding. And then we'll build on the foundation of the word that we've had at that point and kind of learn from that point and move on and move forward. With that, before I get into the teaching for Rosh Kadesh today, I want, I want to go through something really quick. Um, we we said a couple times here already this morning, but even for the sake of of the audience that watches online, either live or replay, I want to make this available to to them as well. I have uh, handouts that I have for you, Pesach help guides, which is basically just kind of an introduction to how things are being done for Passover, how to get ready and prepare. Because you're like, okay, Passover is not until April. Why why do you like bring it up now? Because guys, it's February, February, March. What comes next? April. <laughs> Before you realize that it's going to be here, and so I want you to be prepared for the things that that are are coming, uh, and so you can enter them with joy. You know who likes being caught off guard. <laughs> so we can enter into things with seasons of joy and different things. And as well, uh, if you get the link, I have different things available online for you that are not in this. So if you just go to the links that are in here, it can help you with that. Uh, one, uh, koshering koshering for leaven. What is leaven? Different different thoughts, different ideas about what leaven is. Is it just bread or is there more to it? And even even in that, you know, you have two items that look the same. Are they the same? No, no, they're not. You know, it's not about what it is. It's about what's in it. And so the remember the idea behind here is the Father is teaching us how to discern spiritual things in physical ways because that's a good way for us to learn. I don't know about you guys. I learned better that way. You know, you can, you can talk about spiritual concepts all you want to, but until you make it real, you're not really going to have it established in your life. Okay. So he's teaching us how to discern spiritual things in physical ways. So we have, uh, uh what is leaven, different ideas, different things about that, different teachings that are available there. Um, the Haggadah. No, I didn't say yeah, it's a Haggadah. I said anyway. Haggadah. <laughs> the Haggadah is basically the telling of Passover. I have multiple there. For you to go through if you want to use one feel free to okay? if you just want to use them kind of learn from them, feel free to I think I've got about five or six on there you just kind of go through and see if there's one there that you'd like to use for your family and you can do that as well as some past links to Passover recipes How many of you guys have if you've done Passover you're like okay the first year you did Passover you're like what can I eat besides matzah and water <laughs> what can I have you know and and so again this is where preparedness comes in handy right so there's some links to Passover recipes, Passover teachings, even a, a list. If you're going to do a Seder, here's a suggestion of some things to have on there. So we've got that in there as well. Uh, how to set up uh, a Seder plate, uh, some different things in that. Uh, some of you may appreciate this. I even have the recipe on how I make the lamb. It's in there too. You know. Um, and then some of the symbols to look for even some of the some of the kosher for passover symbols because like i said it's not just you're looking for kosher you're looking for kosher for passover right and so these are just some different things to go into that so why do i bring all this out now because we are have, a, have entered into the 12th biblical month okay as of last night we've entered into the 12th biblical month which is adar now in the in the in the in the season in the calendar uh, sometimes there are 13 months because it just follows the cycles of the seasons, right? The cycles of, of, uh, how everything's done. So sometimes there are 13 months, kind of like leap years. We're familiar with that in our traditional calendar that we have here, you know, the Julian calendar. So sometimes there's a February what? Okay. So, and that's done, you know, so often. So every, every so often they insert a month in there because Passover has to be in the spring. It has to be in the spring. It is, it is in the time of Aviv. Aviv means spring. So Passover has to be in the spring. And then uh, as well as uh, uh, you're looking for, uh, you have the, the, the harvest that's given there as well. So everything's tied in together. You have to have the first fruits and the, the gathering of Omer. All of this has to work in together. So there's times and seasons for us to follow. But because of that, I want to make sure that you are prepared and start thinking ahead towards Passover. But I do want to bring some things out regarding this month and how this month, I believe, is preparing us for life in the kingdom. And you think about it this way too, the month of Adar precedes the month of Aviv, so it's kind of like even in in Mitzrayim, when the children of Israel were there, and they're getting ready for their redemption, they're getting ready to be brought out, they're getting ready for their deliverance, they're being prepared for it, and Moshe is giving them instructions on what they are to do so that they can walk out and come out. Uh, it didn't all of a sudden get the children of Israel and saying, oh, by the way, we're leaving now. You're not ready yet? No. No, he instructed them on what was to happen. So this is kind of the same thing. Uh, we're instruction for preparing for kingdom living. What are some things that took place during this month and some things that can show us how to live and how to bless, how to do these things? OK, before we get into that, I want to bring out something regarding uh, Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh basically means a new head, which is just the beginning of the month. So uh, Numbers 10.10 10 says, On the days of rejoicing at your designated times and on Rosh Chodesh, you were to sound the trumpets over the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and peace offerings. these will be a reminder before your God, I am Adonai, your God. Again, it's a reminder every month that Yahweh is telling us I am with you. You know, it's just a reminder, right? So, how many of you guys need reminders sometimes? Yeah, I need reminders sometimes. So he's, he's reminding us, I am with you. And so we know that the silver trumpets, when you blew the trumpets over the offerings, that we said it would be a memorial for you. That memorial is a remembrance. So Yahweh is saying it is a remembrance for us. And in Psalm 81 3, it says, sound the shofar at Rosh Chodesh and at the full moon for the pilgrim feast. So again, the trumpets were sounded on Rosh Chodesh so that the people would know a new time and a new season has entered in. And we thank Yahweh that we've made it through that month. Have you ever finished a time or a season, and you look back and you said, Thank you, Yahweh, you brought me through it. That's the idea why we have the blessings for the new month and the blessing for these things. We're thanking him for the things that we've been through, and we are thanking him that he is with us in the month to come. Right? So is establishing these things that are going forward. And in Isaiah sixty six, verses twenty two and twenty-three, it says, For just as the new heavens and the new earth that I am making will continue in my presence, I have a question for you. The new heavens and the new earth, are we there yet? Absolutely not. Okay, If this is the new heavens and the new earth, we're hurting. This is not the new heavens and the new earth. So we're talking about a time that is yet to be, correct? Okay, so it says, uh, Just as new heavens and the new earth I am making will continue my presence as Adonai, so shall your descendants and your name remain every month on Rosh Hashanah, and every week on Shabbat. Everyone living. Who is that? Everyone living. What does that mean? Everyone living. So again, we're in a time yet to be. Because it says everyone living will come to worship Yahweh in His presence, will come before Him. And guys, not everyone in the world is worshiping Yahweh right now. So this is, again, in a time that is yet to be. So my question is, if the times and the seasons, the months, the days, and the years are places for us to set aside for worship to Yahweh, and time to declare His goodness and declare His name, and uh, times of just honor for Him, and we're to acknowledge these things in a time that's even yet to be, Let's face it, even when time is eternity, we're looking at, okay? In a time that is yet to be, and they were relevant for the people of Israel when they came out of Mitzrayim, so if they were relevant then, and they were relevant in a time to come, are they relevant now? Well, my question is, when did they cease being relevant, <laughs> okay? So it's not a matter of, are they relevant now? No, they never stopped being relevant, okay? So we're following the Father and all of these things. So before we get into the teaching, I want to do the traditional uh, prayer for the month, okay? Okay? And I forgot to put that in my notes up here, so I put it on my phone so I can kind of like blow it up because, you know, I'm old. <laughs> so if we could stand for the traditional blessing, and in the Hebrew we read, Yehi ratzon melchanecha, Yahweh Eloheinu ve'elachei <laughs> avoteinu. Titt chodesh aleinu etcha chodesh hazei le'tova lo'vracha. Itittin lanu chayim aruchim, chayim shol shalom, chayim tova, chayim shol bracha, chayim shol parnasah. Haim shahalutz atzmot, haim shoh yesh bohim yarat vshemayim veyarat Haim shoh in bohim vushah ulokhamah. Haim shoh osay lukavod vehaim shetabhanu ahavat Torah veyarat vshemayim. Haim shiyuna Yahweh mishalot levhanu lepava, amen, zelah. English, may it be your will, Yahweh our God and God of our forefathers, that you inaugurate this month upon us for goodness and for blessing. May you give us long life a life of peace, a life of goodness, a life of blessing, a life of sustenance, a life of physical health, a life in which there is fear of heaven, and fear of sin, a life in which we will have the love of Torah and the fear of heaven, a life in which our heartfelt requests will be fulfilled for good, amen, selah. We could say together, may the Holy One, blessed is He, renew it upon us and upon all His people, the family of Israel, for life, for peace, for joy, and for gladness. For salvation and constellation. And let us say, Amen. You may be seated. Okay. So, Rosh Chodesh. This is the 12th biblical month that we have gotten into. And, uh, what are some things that are looking at here? Some, what are some things that are established here? So first off, let's look at this is the month of Adar. What was happening during the month of Adar? Well, the process of the plagues in Egypt were coming to a head right? Adar comes right before the month of Aviv, also called Nisan, which is the first biblical month, right? So what was happening? Well, in the 12th month, everything is kind of coming to a head. They're getting ready for everything to come out in their deliverance. This is kind of like the final stage of what is happening. So Adar could be considered a month of conflict. But again, what is our perspective in regarding this month of conflict? Is it just conflict or could this actually be a time of looking forward to victory and rebuilding? And that's the focus that we're looking at. Because the children of Israel were still in Mitzrayim. They were still in the same situation they've been in for 400 years. And Moshe is telling them, we're coming out of here. Yahweh's delivering us. Yahweh's heard our cries. These things are going to happen. And by this point, some of the children of Israel are going, yeah, win. Right? But yet, what is happening? as everything's coming to a head and they're preparing themselves for the 10th plague and the final judgment upon the gods of Egypt, they're looking at these and they're saying, okay, but yet Yahweh is wanting us to participate in our deliverance. Think about that for a second. Yahweh delivers his people, absolutely. But yet they had a responsibility to participate in their deliverance. In other words, they couldn't be passive regarding it. They had to follow his instruction as he brought them out. He said, this is what I want you to do. And then we have the, the 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 means for Pesach. We're not going to go into that today. We had the means for Pesach and the lamb and the blood and all this, and they had to follow these things because when Yahweh went through the midst of Mitzrayim, did He really not know who were His people? That He had to look to see, oh, see, are these people mine? No, no, they're not mine. Okay, I can go there. These people? Okay, there's the blood. Yeah, they're mine. I can go over to the next house. Did He really not know? So what was the point? The point was obedience. The point was, there was a sign that was to be given, not just for the children of Israel, but for the Egyptians. There was a sign that was to be given for the world to see that Yahweh is the one who delivers. And so what Yahweh was looking for for his people was a heart of obedience. And what he was telling them, I will lead you out. I will deliver you. I will do all these things for you. And I want you to look forward to that victory and that rebuilding of your life that I have for you. And even then, when the time came for them to walk out, they could have stayed in Egypt and said, God, I thought you were going to deliver us. See, how many of us do the same thing? God, I thought you were going to deliver us. I thought that you were going to do these things. He says, I am delivering you. Follow me. <laughs> because when the time came for them to come out of Mitzrayim, they needed to leave. They needed to follow. Okay, And so this is what the Father is even telling us in this time. He's telling us to follow Him. And that was the call of Yeshua, wasn't it? Follow me. He wants us to follow Him. Learn His heart. Learn His ways. And then apply these things to our life. Now, I know there are some things we can't do because of different means or another, like all the mitzvot together. You know, all the mitzvot, as they've been codified through the Torah, some are for men, some are for women, some are for Levites, some are for the Kohanim, You know, only, the, only Aaron and his sons, right? Some were for the, the temple, some were for inside the land, some were for outside the land. So there were some things that could be done and some things that couldn't be done. But what is our attitude toward it? If it is within our power to do, should we? James tells us that faith with our works is what we're supposed to do. We have faith. Prove it. How do we prove it? By doing what he has instructed us to do. So even in this, it is a time for victory, and this was a time for our perspective. Are we going to wait to see what God does? Or when he says, now's the time, we do it. Like this. Ezra 6, 14 and 15. So the elders of the Jews continued building and prospering through the prophesying of Haggai and the prophet of Zechariah, the son of Edo. And they finished building according to the command of the God of Israel and according to the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar, sixth year of the reign of King Darius. When the time came to, to build the temple, did the people say, God is going to rebuild the temple. God is going to build the temple. Go ahead, God. What are you doing? See? again, we need to have an involvement. It's a matter of, do we believe the word? And believing the word is not just reading the word and saying, yep, that's true. It is, yes, that is true. And what is my responsibility to it? Yes, that's true. Now, how do I fit in the picture? And that's why we see through the scripture, many people of faith who stood and did what Yahweh had declared to them. And like like I said, last week, Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter of the scriptures, right? Go through and read it. It's encouraging, but throughout the whole thing, you see by faith, so and so did something. So because of faith, something happened in their life, and they they acted on that. And that's what the Father is calling us to as well. Even in this time of Adar, preparing for the for Passover, the time to come, He wants us to prepare our hearts. Now that's the beautiful thing. You can come to the Father just as you are, but after He redeems you, He wants you to be like Him. After he redeems you, he wants you to follow him and walk in his ways. And old things passed away, all things become new. He wants you to learn his ways and follow after him, right? Okay, so during this season, during this month of Adar, I want to point out and draw our focus to the intent of being mindful of kingdom-related things. As we're preparing our hearts and our minds and our families for Passover, as, as this time we're looking, looking ahead to things, I want us to be mindful of, of our focus and our intent on kingdom-related things. Are we seeking to build and establish and walk in the kingdom of Yahweh here and now? Or are we just saying, someday we'll all be in the kingdom? Right, someday we'll all be in the kingdom. But yet, what did Yeshua come to show us? He came to show us how to walk in that kingdom here. That's why in the prayer, it says, Thy kingdom, come; thy will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. You know we have a place to walk in the kingdom of yahweh here and now to certain people yeshua said you will never see the kingdom of heaven with your eyes and he he didn't mean because there is not a physical kingdom that's not what he meant what he meant was he said the kingdom of heaven is within you what do you mean by that that we're supposed to live in it now and growing with that heart of the father walking in his ways now and if we're doing what the father says now then we are showing his kingdom to one another and we're living inside of that kingdom to one another, because the kingdom of Yahweh knows no boundaries. We limit, we limit what what the Father does in our life. And if we can get past ourselves sometimes, then we can truly change the world. Yeshua's disciples, 12 people, shook the world. What can we do? Look, Matthew 6.21, Yeshua says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is that true? Absolutely. Where you invest your time is showing what's important to you. Where you invest, uh, your time, your resources, your family, uh, the, the, the things that you, uh, build, the things that you're involved in, all of these things show what's important to you. And the things you do on a daily basis will reveal how these, how, the place these things have in your heart. You know, do we pray daily? Do we pray often? Do we read the scriptures often? Are we in there? I mean, I know we got to have jobs. We got to have things. We got to do work. But are we making the connection with the Father a priority? Do we feel like, Yahweh, I can't live today without first acknowledging you and saying thank you. I can't truly enter into this day without you going before me. You know, so, th- so where we put our time, our resources, our efforts, our energy, that is showing what is important to us. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And guys, the treasure is not just talking about money. It is talking about time and resources as well, because time is more costly than money. You can't get time back. Matthew 6.33, Yeshua said what? Seek first what? The kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of Yahweh and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So you could go into what does it mean to seek His righteousness? As you go through the Torah and you start through the beginning, you, you learn that righteousness Zedek, it's, it's justice, righteousness and justice. So how do we learn what Yahweh's righteousness and justice is? He defines it in his word for us, and he shows us how to walk in that. It says in the Torah, it will be righteousness for us if we walk according to all of God's commands. It doesn't mean we're walking in our own righteousness. It means it's his righteousness that he showed in his word for us. If we're walking in his word, then we're walking in his righteousness. So we're learning to walk in His ways. And we, again, seeking first the kingdom and all these things. Okay. Now, another thing we're looking at here, uh, the month of Adar, we're talking about Passover, and we're talking about a time even when the temple stood, it was important and it was relevant for these times and seasons, right? Of course. But consider this. In order for the temple to be in service, there had to be Levites. True? Yeah. Because you could have the temple standing, but without the Levites, you couldn't run the service. And so there had to be Levites. There had to be Kohanim. A Kohen is a Levite. A Kohen is a son of Aaron. Okay. So all Kohen are Levites. Not all Levites are Kohen. There were other families within the Levites. Okay. But Kohen were the priests. Levites were the ones that were working, uh, within, with the priests. And then all the necessary offerings for the daily function. I mean, they had the morning and the evening Tameed. That was done every day. They had offerings that were done on behalf of all Israel. They had all of these things done. And then all these things were, were in, needed for the temple to function. And if you expanded this, really took a good look at view, you could see how the temple in, in Jerusalem, in Israel, was vital, not just to the spiritual health of the people of Israel, but also to their economy. How many people do you think were employed by the services of things that the temple used? If you really broke it down, you would be amazed. You know, you had to have sheep, you had to have wool, you had to, you had to have linen, you had to have the wine, you had to have Uh, I mean, there there was a breakdown. it's, It's just amazing how much was involved in all of these things. And so it was a central source for all Israel, not just their spiritual life, but their physical life, too. Now consider this. One way these daily offerings were provided was by the half shekel that was collected yearly. The half shekel. And what was the half shekel? We'll get to that in just one second. So during Adar, during the month of Adar... The half shekels were being collected, and this is a preparation for the month of Vaviv. They're dedicated in the first month. Okay. So this is what you would call the fiscal year or the biblical calendar for the holy things that were being established. Okay. There are different calendars we find in the Torah, different, different times of, of reckoning of time for different times and seasons, right? Here, the, the half shekel was collected for the offerings and the things that were established in that fiscal year that was being there. And what do we learn in, in regards to the half shekel? Well, a few things. One, we have, as people, a need to connect and a need to belong. That's why we seek out relationships. We have a need to connect and a need to belong. But Yahweh, first and foremost, is to fill that need in our lives. We connect and belong to Him. But yet there were things that He established for us. He said, you are my people. So He redeems us individually. He expects us to walk redemptively as a body, as one body. So we're still singular, we're still one body, but yet individuals within it. And so these are things that he wants to show us. And the Habshakel was one way to do that. So we see, we want to connect to Yahweh, but we also seek to connect with his people. Now, what happened with Moshe? While Moshe was on top of the mountain, what happened to the people? Yahweh, I mean, they told, you know, Yahweh spoke, the people backed off, they said, Moses, you go find out what God says, so that and you tell us what He says, so that we can do that. Moshe went back up, and what did the people do? Well, Moses has been up there an awful long time. We don't know what's happened to Moses, and you've seen the thunder and the lightning and and the the, the, the mountain and everything. I mean, there's no way Moses could be alive up there. I think Moses died up there. Well, what's what are we going to do now? So, what did they do? Made a golden calf because life was outside of what they expected it to be. In the midst of trying to help God, they made God. They made the golden calf. And they said, this is your Elohim who has brought you out of Mitzrayim. And it's basically saying, this is the Elohim that's going, that brought you out and it's going to lead you and do these things. And then Aaron took it a step further. Aaron stood in front of this golden calf and said, tomorrow we'll have a feast to Yahweh. So they, they made a golden calf of their own devising. They fashioned and shaped Yahweh into what they could tangibly hold and see. And then proclaimed to have the festival to Yahweh in the midst of this. So it's like, we're going to serve God our way, do our thing, and God's going to be okay with it. I don't think so. They had, they, they felt the need to connect to Yahweh, but they lost that sense of connection when Yahweh spoke, when Yahweh was speaking to them. And they're like, we can't, we can't stand to hear the voice of Yahweh. Instead of moving closer, like he told us to, we back off. We back off, and we're like, "I don't feel this connection to to the God that says He loves me and deliver me and all these things." So I'm going to build something that I feel connected to. We make idols. What Yahweh is telling us here is, don't do that. But He kind of had a means around that for us, and He was showing us how to work in these things. Okay. So the people desired to see what was going on on their timetable, and this led them to make the golden cap. But the answer to being connected to what was happening was given before any of this took place. It was the half shekel. The half shekel. Well, consider the half shekel. Each person was to give a half shekel in relationship for their atonement. And we'll get to what that is in just one second. But consider this. None could give more. None could give less. No one could give more. No one could give less. What would that say to you? And as far as the half shekel goes, we're all the same. Now consider that the half shekel says it was given for an atonement for you. In other words, as far as our atonement is, is provided, none of us are worse than anyone else. No one's better than anyone else. We are all the same. Yahweh didn't have to work extra specially hard to make atonement for you. Okay. We are all the same on that level, but yet we're only a half. So if you have a half of something, what does that tell you? Well, you need another half. Okay. So again, if we come together, only when we come together can we be whole. What Yahweh is teaching. We come together, we can be whole. Now let's, look, let's cover a few things. Exodus 30, 11 to 16. Yahweh said to Moshe, when you take a census of the people of Israel, each shall give a ransom for his life to Yahweh when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. So the word therefore ransom is kofir, kofir. That means literally something that is covered up. It's also called a redemption price. And this was made to be made from silver. Now, if you're not familiar with this, uh, back in these times, they said you're to have a shekel of weight or a half shekel of weight. It's not a matter of a certain dollar amount, or it's not a matter of you know paper money or anything like that. Like today, you have you know shekels of Israel. I don't know the exact number, but let's just say you know uh, four shekels is about a dollar. Okay, but that's not what happened here. See, shekel was a unit of weight, so it was something that was weighed out. Not like he you know flipped up with his wallet, something that was weighed. So it was a weighed out unit of silver that was used. And the interesting thing about it is that the silver that was collected, especially during the time of the tabernacle, before they were before the tabernacle was built, as they were building it, the shekels that were collected formed the sockets that held the tabernacle together. Isn't that interesting? that the the half-shekels of silver that were collected from all the people of Israel were used to hold the tabernacle together. Guys, what are we supposed to do? Hold the tabernacle together. Be a people to stand together, to to be a place for the presence of Yahweh to dwell. And we are involved in that. That's our responsibility, to stand together and let Yahweh dwell with them. And as we're standing with Yahweh, we're connecting with one another. That's what we're supposed to do. So it says the ransom or an atonement that was given. This is also where we get the word Yom Kippur, like the day of atonement. It's the same word, Kofer and Kippur. It's all the same word. So atonement that I said was given here says would you halt the plague that would come after the census. Atonement is also a ritual covering. And atonement, guys, what we talk about when we talk about Yom Kippur, atonement is not just forgiveness. It's a protection. It's a safety. It's a cover. Remember King David? He took a census of the people, and what happened? Plague broke out. Why? Because he didn't do it the way that Yahweh said to do it. You didn't count the people. You didn't count their heads. matter of fact, why would a king count how many people he has most often? Military! (laughs) Might! Power! Strength! How many people do I have that I can put in the military service that I can go conquer more land? Right? Hmm. See, the way that Yahweh said to count, you didn't count the people. They gave the half shekel, and you counted the shekels. So, that was given there. So, it was kind of like a space that was given between the people... the counting that was done so the atonement that was given here it was given as a protection and who was counted those the age 20 and up so when you take a census of people age 20 and up what do you think you're counting for soldiers those who are able to fight look numbers 10 9. so if you go to war on your land against the enemy that oppresses you you shall blow the alarm with the silver trumpets you shall be remembered before Yahweh your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. Again, the idea of when you're going to war, these silver trumpets will be blown. Remember, silver throughout many of the scriptures represents something to do with atonement. So this is what he says, that I will remember you, and I will cover you when you go into battle. Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. Yahweh your God is he that goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. So Exodus 30, verse 12. When you take a sum of the children of Israel after their number, then... They shall give every man a ransom for assault to Yahweh when you number them. There be no plague among them when you number them. The word for plague is negaf. Word for plague that's given here is negaf, which means to trip, to trip up, right? Because what happened? The plague is it's a stumbling, right? So that's that's the way this is the idea of this is. It's it's a, something like something that trips you up. Okay? It's an affliction of a disease, something that plagues or stumbles, like you trip up your foot, right? So plague means to stumble or lag behind. In other words. There will be those who are stumbling and lagging behind. How many people do we read in the scriptures just situations like this? People who were stumbling and lagging behind and staying behind as Israel was going forward. Yeah, these are the ones that Amalek attacked, right? So again, this is the idea. Uh, eventually, they were captured by their adversary, like this. When we stand before the king, he will take a census. Will he not? We read about the time when Yahweh will separate all the nations, the, the sheep and the goats, and separate them all, right? And to some, he will say, Come in, good and faithful servant, right? And others, he'll say, Depart from me. I never knew you, right? When we all stand before the king, he will take a census. What's he looking for? He's not looking for how good you house. What's he looking for? Has atonement been provided? Have you received this? Have you walked? That's why we say, We thank Yahweh for Yeshua that he has provided an atonement for us that so we can stand before him and be part of that covenant relationship with him. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for, we can walk in a place of covenant. So, Exodus 30, verse 13. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, a half shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Shekel is 20 geras. Half a shekel is an offering unto Yahweh. Like I said, that was a unit of weight, not a not a dollar amount. So They would weigh out silver. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give Yahweh's offering. The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give Yahweh's offering to make atonement for your lives. So again, reiterating, the rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less. In the means of the silver, in the means of an atonement that is provided, we are equal. We are all on an equal plane. No one can look up to anybody and go, wow, I wish I was like him. And no one can look down on anybody and say, thank God I'm not like him. We are the same. And So this kind of levels the field for us. When we all stand before Yahweh, we're the same. No one's better, no one's worse. We're the same. So the half shekel, it was used for the service of the Mishkan. It was used for the service of the tabernacle. Consider this, after they built the tabernacle, they had to buy the offerings. Right, Like I said, like the morning and evening tamid offerings that were done every morning and every evening, certain offerings that were done for the nation of Israel. These were things that were done on behalf of the nation, not things that were done for the individual. So it needed to be bought from the temple. Well, how did they buy what was needed? The the, the half shekel was given, and then they would buy what they needed for their daily function of the temple in those means. So no one could give more, no one could give less. Again, the atonement is the same for all. and Each of us on our own is a half. Each of us on our own, we're just a part of what, of what the, so we connect, then we can come together and then we can serve a purpose to be mindful of the kingdom. We can all do our part on our own, but yet Yahweh has called us to be a body and to be whole in that. Question is, are we willing to stand up and be counted? Are we willing to stand up and, and to say, Yahweh, I'm yours? And do we get to tell him what he can do with us? <laughs> We get to say, Yahweh, I'm yours, and I want to serve you with all of my gifts and all my talents and everything that you've given me, so here's how I'm going to do it. Do we say, Yahweh, I'm yours? What do you want? He gave you the gifts and your talents and all these things to to use, but the question is, you know, it's kind of like the idea. You know, we want to serve Yahweh, but we want to do it our way. We want to serve Him, kind of like I've heard someone say, yeah, you know, I want to serve, but only in a supervisory capacity. (laughs) Or you can be a shepherd, you got to learn again, we're following. So are we willing to stand up and be counted? This required all to contribute, all contribute. Are we willing to stand and be counted with the people of Yahweh? If we're not willing to stand and be counted with the people of Yahweh, then then we will be counted among the nations. If we're not willing to join with the people of Yahweh, what would would our end result be? Many people today, you know, they they, they want to be spiritual people without Yahweh. You can be a spiritual person. You're not going to be walking with Him. You're going to be making golden calves. You can't serve Yahweh your way and expect Him to be. So it's like, how many things are we doing in our life? Say, this is what I'm doing, but I'm doing it for Yahweh. And he said, I told you don't do that for me. <laughs> I told you don't worship me this way, but it's for you. Let me ask you this. What about Nadab and, Av- Nadab and Aviv? Aaron's sons. When they went and they brought incense before the Lord, they brought strange fire before the Lord. Why? Because they were bringing incense. It's where they get, It's what they brought fire in for. They brought strange fire before the Lord. And fire came out from before the Lord and Kentucky fried them. Why? Why? See, if something like that were to happen today, we would be offended with Yahweh. They were just trying to worship you. What were you doing? They just wanted to worship their own way. Why are you being so cruel to them? They just want to worship in their own way. Why does it matter? These were Aaron's sons. And there's many different midrashes and speculation as to why exactly. But here is a fact. Scripture says they brought strange fire before the Lord that he did not ask them to do. So on the one side of it, they were doing something Yahweh didn't, didn't tell them to do on the other side of it, they were bringing strange fire before the Lord. The fire that was to come before him was the fire that was supposed to be from the altar that Yahweh himself lit. So he lit that fire on the altar, and you're supposed to take that fire and to go before the Lord. Then, so if you're bringing the fire before the Lord, you're bringing incense, right? Who was the one who was supposed to burn incense to, to, to Yahweh? Aaron. Right after all this happened, Scripture says Aaron is the one who was to burn the incense before the Lord. You know, the high priest. So it could have been after Aaron passed, one of his sons, of course, would do the job. But guess what? Aaron hadn't passed. So it was Aaron's job to do it. So in that that aspect, they wanted to do something that wasn't their job. And they were working outside of what their atonement had been provided. Consider this. As you read through the scripture, you learn they had just gone through the eight-day process of dedication. They had just gone through the time of training on how to serve Yahweh. They would have known they wanted to go and, and to do this. And maybe just out of their zeal or out of their glee, they wanted to serve Yahweh, but they stepped outside of the boundaries that Yahweh set for them. They paid a price. And Yahweh told Aaron, through those who are closest to me, I will be In other words, those who are really close to him, those who serve Yahweh, those that are there have a greater responsibility and accountability to Yahweh and the holy things. And the holy things, Aaron and his sons had a job and a responsibility to keep the sanctity. So as, as the people of Israel approached, they had to understand The clean, the unclean, the holy, and the how to approach. So as they came in, they would be instructed on what to do. So again, we're, we're all in the same there, but we all approach the Father in way. Essentially, we all need to approach him without pride. We need to approach him at a means of being humble before him. We're all the same. None of us are better than anybody else. None of us are worse than anybody else. We approach him humbly and we thank him that we can come into his presence. And as we approach, he is graced as we come before him, he will, we are all. First Peter four eight says, Above all, keep loving one another. How? Earnestly. This love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean you turn a blind eye to sin. Okay. What it means is because you messed up, I'm not gonna bombard you with like guilt and just like thrashing. But it also doesn't mean that I won't come to you and say, Yeah, you should what it means is I'm not gonna beat you up because you <laughs> So I love you, we will love you through it, but now that this happens, let's repent and let's keep going forward. I'm not gonna treat you differently. That's what Acts two forty two. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread. And so again, working together and showing the heart of the father to all that first Corinthians 10 17, because there is one bread, we who are many as one body for we all partake take bread. Again, one, we can't say we're one people, but then these people are better than them. Again, working in, working in the kingdom, living in the kingdom, being kingdom minded means what matters the most? Seek first to seek else. That's why and to be humble to come before him. learn to work together. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one, but has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, constitute one body, so it is with the Messiah. Luke 11, 17. But he, knowing what they were thinking, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, with one house collapsing. Romans 12, 3 through 5. For by grace given to me, I say that everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in the Messiah. But individually, members of what's it say? Then just say we're members of Him, which we are in Him. But it says because we are in Him, we are members of one another. I Have a real hard time of seeing that. Number. Because we belong to Yahweh, we're members of. It means we need, need to learn how to how to how to function and to live that. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs puts it this way. For the battle of the spirit, the victory of heart, mind, and soul, you don't need numbers. You, n- you need dedication, commitment, study, prayer, vision, courage, ideals, hope. You need people who are instinctively inclined to give, to contribute. Give, then count the contributions. The finest way ever, de- ever devised to measure the strength of a people that he's talking about that. Again, people who are willing to give of themselves. Like we said, where your treasure is, your heart will be, right? So that's your time, your effort, your resources, your family, your job, everything. What are you giving? Back to Exodus 30, verse six: You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it to the service of the tent of meeting. See that? It it was given for the service of the tabernacle to function among the people, so that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before Yahweh, so as to make atonement for your lives. So the silver represents atonement. Like we said, the silver that was collected... It made the sockets and the rings for the tabernacle, and that is what held the tabernacle together, representing it is the people of Yahweh that held the tabernacle of Yahweh together. We as a people stand together for his presence. What would happen if the people didn't contribute to the service of the Mishkan? That it would cease to function. What would happen? There would not be any national worship for the people of Israel. wouldn't be there. So again, Yahweh said that he would care for the Levites and the they had no inheritance within the land. When they went when they went into the land, it was given to all the tribes. The Levites, they were given a few cities, and they lived among all the other tribes. They didn't have an allotment of land that they could call. They, Yahweh said, I will take care of them. but how did Yahweh take care of them? The people among them giving towards the needs of the of the of the temple and service and to the Levites and the Kohen as well. So this the half shekel is what became known as the temple tax. How many of you, as you've read through the B'r'hadashah, the the New Testament, read through the B'r'hadashah, and you say the temple tax, you're like, they're They're taxing taxing the people, that's wrong. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, the half shekel was the temple tax, and that was actually a biblical Okay. Yeshua didn't have a problem with people collecting the things that were biblically-based different things. Why do people hate the tax collectors? Well, I think you could ask that today, you know? It wasn't about, this is what was collected, it's about, this is what was collected, and then whatever they collected above that was theirs. Well, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to have a lot of corruption, you know? And he had a lot of people co- collecting a lot unnecessarily and taxing, uh, pun, pun intended, and taxing the people, right? But this, the half-shekel, was not to be a burden on It was to be a means of joy so that we could have the function of the people of Yahweh to see him work. Look, Nehemiah 10, 33, we're talking about Nehemiah, what did he do? We're talking about restoration, rebuilding, restoring the walls, the service, and everything, right? What are we reading in Nehemiah 10, 33? So now the rest of the people, the Kohanim, the Levites, the gatekeepers, and the singers, the temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the people and the lands for the sake of the Torah of God, along with their wives or sons or daughters, all who were able to understand, all join with their brothers, the nobles, and enter into the curse and an oath to walk in the Torah of God, given through Moshe, the servant of God, and to keep and do all the mitzvot of Adonai our Lord, along with his ordinance and his statutes. He's saying we have people here who are reaffirming the covenant. Remember, as they crossed into the land, you have Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and you're proclaiming the blessings of the covenant and, and the curses of the covenant, the people were to respond, Amen. Right. So what they're saying is they have these people who are standing and they're renewing their dedication to the covenant. Right. So what happens? 31. Furthermore, we will not give our daughters to the people of the land or we will not take the daughters for our sons. And when the people of the land bring merchandise or any kind of grain on Shabbat, we will not buy from them on Shabbat or on a holy day. And also every seventh year we will forego the working of the land and the debt of every hand. We also assume responsibility for the mitzvot to give a third of a shekel each year for the work of the house of God. Why a third? Wouldn't it supposed to be a half? They're supposed to give the half shekel every year for the work, right? Why a third? Well, there's some commentary on that. Why a third? According to the law, everyone above 20 years of age was to give half a shekel to the sanctuary, which was called a ransom for their souls, the Exodus 30, 11 to 16. But why is one third of a shekel now promised instead of the half shekel, which the law required? To this question, no better answer can be given than this. The general poverty of the people, occasioned by their wars, overthrows, heavy tributes, and the land, their, their captivity, and now on their return, having little in property, it was impossible for them to give more. And we know from the terms of the law written in this case that the poor and the rich were obliged to give alike. So because it was a ransom for their souls, and the souls of the poor and the rich were of like value. And they stood equally in need of redemption, for all were equally fallen, and all had come equally short on the glory of God. So when the people got into a state of greater prosperity, the half-shackle. So even in this case, we see an issue of mercy being given to the people because of the poverty of the people, and everyone had to give the same. It's not a matter of saying, well, everybody's going to give the half-shackle, and if you can't afford it, you better find a way. It wasn't like that. And out of an act of mercy, they were saying, okay, we've got to get something here. Let's, let's cut it back to a third. And then once things got to establish to a certain point within the community, then they re, reinstituted the half shekel. It's kind of like this. Do what you can until you can do what it says. <laughs> and that's kind of the attitude with which they, they took that. Okay. So the half shekel is provided for the community service of so the operating for uh, the house of God. This worked as their operating fund for the regular worship. According to Nehemiah ten thirty four, the tax was to be applied to defraying expenses of worship, to supply the table of showbread, the continual meat offerings and the burnt offerings that are found in Numbers twenty eight three through eight, for the sacrifice on the Sabbath and the new moons on Numbers twenty eight nine and fifteen, and the sacrifices on the festivals from Numbers twenty eight sixteen to twenty nine and thirty eight. Uh, for the for the kodashim, the holy gifts, by which their uh, position between the burnt offering and the sin offering. We may understand the thank offerings which were offered to the name of the congregation, the two lambs during Shavuot, Leviticus twenty three nineteen, and the offerings brought the feast of dedication of Exodus twenty four five, Ezra six seventeen, for the sin offerings that were sacrificed at every great festival, and finally all for, all for the work of the house of our God. In other words, what else was needed for worship? Things we may never have thought about, huh? But yet if this was instituted, and it wasn't evil to be instituted. It was instituted because Yahweh said, "This is how it is going to be. Uh, the people are going to take care of the house that is in their midst." Second Kings twelve four and 5, Yoash said to the Kohanim, all the funds for the sacred purposes which are brought to the house of Adonai, the half shekel tax, the taxes on persons in a man's household, and all the offerings anyone voluntary brings to the house of Adonai, the Kohanim are to receive from whoever personally makes contributions to them, and they are to use these funds to repair the damaged parts of the house, wherever the damage is found. Makes sense, right? I mean, you live in a house for a while, you're going to need repairs, right? Same thing, with, you know, Yahweh's house is still a house. So it still needed, needed repairs, needed things. So as the people gave, they were able to have that corporate worship in their midst. And, you know, when they wanted to go to the, go to the temple to bring their offering, they could rely. The temple was there and it was functioning. Why they did that. And so, but all the people stood together and all were involved so that they could stand together and so they would have that available to them in the place. Theophilus Lucky, in his 19th century Messianic Jewish publication, Edut Le Israel, which was uh, published in 1888, He writes this. Long ago, while our forefathers were still in their own land, the holy land that Hashem gave us has an everlasting portion. They would announce about the Shekelim on the first of the month of Adar. Emissaries went out to all the habitations of Israel, announcing to the people that the time to bring the half shekel contribution for the public offerings had come. They used the collection to purchase sacrifices that were to be brought before Hashem, and they used it to repair their road and to eradicate it, all forbidden hybrid crops from their fields. So again, they during on the first of Adar they proclaim it's time to start collecting this and why because what happened during Pesach one of the one of the Shalish Regalim one of the three foot festivals what happened during Passover all men were to appear before Yahweh okay so all are going to appear before Yahweh and you're going on the pilgrim road but the pilgrim road's damaged can't get there from here but you got to be there what you going to do that was another thing as they as they collected the half shackles they made sure that all the roads to the temple were set and established, and you were able to cross over them, as well as having the other things that were needed for the function. Again, it was a matter of we're giving of ourselves so that we can make it conducive to gathering together in a place of worship We're following through what he had said to Jesus. Matthew 17, 24 to 27. So they came to Capernaum. The collectors of the temple text came to Peter and said, your teacher pays the temple text. know you with the story? So Peter says, well, of course he does, <laughs> right? Peter says yes so now when Peter came into the house Yeshua spoke to him saying so what do you think Simon the kings of the earth from whom do they collect tolls or tax from their sons or from strangers and after Peter said from strangers and Yeshua said to him then the sons are free but so that we do not offend them go to the sea and throw out a hook and take the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth you'll find a coin take that and give it to them for me and for you so again Yeshua's like am I going to pay a tax to myself and the coin why the fish I don't know I don't have an answer for that. Why they're maybe because he was a fisherman. I don't know. But then but this but this coin was enough to fulfill the tax for him and for Peter. So how much do you think it weighed? Had to have been silver. How much do you think it weighed? You know the answer to this? Probably a shekel. Because a half shekel is what was collected per person. So it would have been Well, she had 810. Again, Rabbi Jonathan uh sack brought, brought brought this up. Or no, this was Herman Strike. Um, so, although they hire among the nations, I will now round them up, so they will begin to decrease under the burden of kings and princes. So, what is what is given here? This verse is said in the Aramaic language. If they all study, as an explanation to the text of the word, know, I will father them, so that the exile comes to an end. And if few of them study, then they, who are they? These few, so that the students and scholars, shall be rid of the tax of the king. What are saying here is, Many among the nations, if we are all coming together and we are all learning from the heart of the father, we're all sons. Be taxing there or will we automatically just be doing what he asked? When you study and you apply what you start following. He says, if you see, if you search for me, you have that relationship, then you are no longer servants, but Ezra 7, 21 and 24. So I, King Arxerxes, hereby issue a decree to all the treasurers of the Trans-Euphrates to diligently provide all that Ezra the Cohen, the scribe of the law, your God is a God of heaven, may ask of you. Up to 100 talents of silver, a 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, a 100 baths of oil, and salt without limit. Everything that the God of heaven has required, let it be done with diligence for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? We also notify you that you have no authority to impose tribute, tax, or duty on any of the Kohanim, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, sanctuary servants, or attendants at the house of God. <laughs> what he was saying here is as the king was sending... Sending things that was needed for the for the reinstitution of the service in the temple. He was saying, you can't tax the Kohanim, the Levites, which often, guys, the people who were singing and playing instruments in there were Levites. So they were all given. Okay, Uh, again from Herman Strach. So it follows from the proof that Yeshua offers for his being exempt from the shekel contribution that he attributed to himself a position with respect to God that is otherwise not suited to an Israelite. This implication cannot be eliminated by pointing to the fact that Peter also participates in this tax exemption. For Peter enjoys this not directly because of his position with respect to God, but because of his position with respect to Yeshua. Peter didn't pay it because of his position with Yeshua, and Yeshua said, I pay it. So since Peter is among those affiliated with the son, he is included in its tax status. So back to the question there, should the king pay tax on himself? No. However, so there would be no misunderstanding. Yeshua paid the tax for himself, and he held himself to a standard that was not necessary so that he would be above doubt. Just like he held himself to a standard that was not necessary to hold him, but for us, for us, he paid the pay. for us, he, for us, he made it. What do we know about a higher standard. James three one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, since you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. That's sober. It really is. You know, and, and 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 we live in a world where someone. They, they they study the scripture and they're excited about the things they're studying and praise sure, yeah, we need to be excited about the things that we're doing. but we just started coming to a new revelation of the father yesterday and now we want to teach without having gone through some things in our life and ourselves to help out, have that place there. the minute we start to tell other people things we're held accountable for scripture says you'll be held accountable for every idol how much more when we're sharing the heart of the father. now I'm not saying we shouldn't share the heart of the father with people we absolutely need to the point is be aware of what make it the heart of the Father. Make it his word. There's things that your opinion leading other people astray. That's why a lot of times when I talk about different things, I could I when I'm when I'm talking about many different things, it's like, okay, well this is what I think. Although <laughs> not all of us know everything, you know? Which is frustrating for some people when they come to you and they want answers and you're like, I don't have them <laughs> although I have more questions for you. <laughs> we need to we need to be careful though. Luke twelve forty eight. Everyone who much is given, much will be required for him to entrusted much. James 3.13. Who among you is wise and understanding? <laughs> who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, let him show his deeds. And Notice he doesn't say who among you is wise and understanding. By his dazzling intellect. <laughs> Thank God for that. By his good conduct. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast or lie against the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. But it's earthly, unspiritual, and there's a wisdom of Yahweh. Consider from the very beginning the tree of the knowledge of Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that is from above, this is what we're looking for. This is what grows in our life, cultivated by the fruit of the Spirit, right? So the wisdom that is from above is first what? Pure. And then what? Peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, and impartial, not hypocrite. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in shalom by those who make shalom. How do we get the fruit of righteousness? Learn to dwell in peace. Learn to, learn learn to have that peace in our life, trusting the Father and to share that peace with Him. These are the things that cause us to be built up to truly be living in the sharing His ways. We are all going to make mistakes, but if we can all help each other out in the midst of that and help learning to, to keep our focus back to the Father when we take our eyes off on other things, right? To help each other out, to lift each other up when we need it, and to help, you know, grab arms when we need it, lock each. But the types to step on each other's toes when to help each other. Point back to are we building up and establishing the heart? that's what we. First Peter two five. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through the Messiah issue. If we are living stones, stones that are just off in a corner are just off in a corner. You can take a whole bunch of stones and just throw them into a big pile, and they're not anything. They're just a big stack of stones. But if you take those stones and you put them in order, you can build something. When you're talking about being built with uncut stones, you know what the Torah says was built with uncut stones? The altar can we together, be living stone, be put together to honor and glorify the place we laid out live for. Like Romans 12 tells us, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. How often do you think that needs to be done? <laughs> Every day, sometimes multiple times during the day. I heard someone say once, you know what the, what the problem with the living sacrifice is? It keeps trying to get off the altar. It's hot. I don't like it up here. Burns. What does fire do? It burns out the dross. It burns out the impurity, and it purifies and honors the Father. So I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Some translations say reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, and what is good and acceptable. and For through the grace given to me, I say that everyone among you not think of himself more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to use sound judgment, as God has assigned to each person. For just as we have many parts and one body, all the parts do. So we who are many are one body, and everyone parts what we do. We're living in the kingdom of the Father. We're living in the kingdom of Yahweh. Great and learn to be parts with those, those dry bones connecting together. Great. Come alive and connect. We're supposed to have, and There's a time we're going to need. Let us seek the heart of the Father. Amen.